Welcome back everybody to another episode of Ramble in the Jungle. I am Arvind and as usual we also have Akash. Hi Akash. Hi, hi Arvind, how are you? Good man, pretty good. Um, so today we are discussing the book Blink by the popular author Malcolm Gladwell, whose other book, the only other book that I've read is the Outliers, which I'm sure a lot we've also read because I think that's his most popular book. But uh, this is a book that was recommended by Akash. So he has read the book and I have read the summary of it. Seems pretty interesting, at least from the summary. But one question though, Akash, before we begin, does this book have anything to do with the band Blink-182? <laughs> uh no, but uh, not entirely, because I, I can tell you, I've, I've heard, I think, one song of Blink-182, um, and it's that, it's that, uh, what's that, that's, uh, uh, what's the name of the song, it's just, just evading me, right, but I'm pretty sure it's the same song that everybody else has heard, and, and the phenomenon of, of remembering just one song yes. uh, immediately, and sort of, hearing it for maybe five seconds on the Sony Walkman of the early 2000s uh, and immediately liking it and probably not like liking a lot of the, their other songs or other bands, other songs is the same phenomenon of Blink where you make a snap judgment in about five seconds into a song and you formed your whole opinion like I love this song or I love this band and this is, this is, this is my song right now. Hmm. So to answer your question, it has nothing to do with the band but the phenomenon described in the book and the phenomenon that I at least experienced with that Blink-22 song is, is the same. Okay. So this book, it isn't about Blink-182. So it is about what you said, snap judgments. So is, uh, I'm not sure if you have read the other book, uh, Thinking uh, Fast and Slow by uh, Daniel Kahneman, which also yep. discusses- Daniel Kahneman. Yes, it also discusses a similar idea where you're, there's a fast brain and a slow brain. Is the idea discussed by Malcolm Gladwell similar to the idea discussed by Daniel Kahneman? So Kahneman makes a differentiation. He says there's a fast and a slow brain. Hmm. Uh, Gladwell goes in specifically studying the fast brain in situations where it has to think fast. Hmm. Um, and, and those fast sort of thoughts, judgments, actions are uh, context-driven. They're always context-driven. So um, we probably have a, a strong context about stuff like cycling. So we can identify a cycle in five seconds, whether it's you know good, bad, or what the problem is. Another person who sort of, let's say he or she is very adept at art, has tremendous context with art hmm. and can identify a painting based on their based on the history, the sculpture, the whatever, right? Uh, immediately uh, and, 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 and make a judgment. So uh, again, this, this, is, this was based on several scenarios where only, the, in, only how Kahneman describes the fast brain is at play, but this fast brain has a tremendous amount of context 
and tremendous amount of uh, historical understanding to be able to make those snap judgments. Okay. So is it <laughs> similar to the thing that uh, we were doing at races <laughs> when we used to run, uh, when we just look at people and just say that, you know, this person is a 5K person. Oh, that's 5K guy. He's a 10K, 10K guy. guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's pretty much the same. It's pretty okay. much the same thing. Yeah. So uh, my question is how, uh, I mean, what does he discuss in the book or what does he say in the book uh, about this? Does he say that these judgments are often accurate or is it something that humans are tend to do but are always wrong about it what what does he say about that specifically so he says very clearly he starts out the, the book by saying that we should even in the most difficult of times even when confronted with a lot of even if one decision is going to lead to a lot of sort of sub decisions where you take one path and it leads you down a road mm -hmm. um, you should ideally trust your instincts. You should okay. ideally trust uh, those that basic instinct that you have. That that if it, it and you and if it just comes to you, so to speak, mm. right? And you have that little feeling in your gut, as people say, mm. right? Yeah, this doesn't feel right to me, man. You know, uh, that's more often than not correct. Mm. So take that take that decision. And he explains this through several stories and see and says that. In many ways, we're often swayed by others. In many ways, we're made to, uh, we're nudged as uh, in that in, in, in the book by Cass Sunstein, I think. Uh, um, Richard Taylor. Richard Taylor and Cass Sunstein. Yes, yes. Um, uh, it, the nudge phenomenon is very true. So I think uh, we've uh, spoken about two very similar books, which, uh, which uh, lead to the same sort of feeling where nudge is when something nudges you in, into a direction, even though you aren't specifically going there, but you're made to go there. Um, you have a fast brain and slow brain, how Kahneman describes and Blink sort of explains that, yes, you can be nudged. Yes, you have a fast brain. You should trust both in certain situations when you have the context too. Okay, interesting. Yeah, and I think uh, that is something that most people, most of us do, right? Uh, we uh, sort of always rely on our instincts. We know our instincts are most of the times right. So when when faced with a difficult decision, we might think all the uh, we might think all about it uh, for days on end. Uh, but in the end, I think uh, uh, what actually, at least what I've experienced, is that instinct always takes over. Uh, I'm not saying that it's always the right decision, but it takes over uh, to like, you know, the, the immediate instinct and you take the action. So, and I think it's similar to the idea of inspiration. Uh, I mean, you can correct me if I'm wrong, mm. uh, but you know, inspiration, you, when you look at something like, for example, an inspiring ad uh, or whatever, uh, when you see an inspiring thing, uh, you're inspired to do something. And if you don't do that, in the immediate, uh, let's say, five to 10 minutes. Uh, I mean, that's for me, but maybe it's longer for others. Uh, you never you never do that later on. And that's one thing that I've noticed. Uh, do you think that is similar to what uh, Gladwell describes in the book about instinct? Yeah, it, it is. And I would say five to 10 minutes would probably be a little too much. At least that's what okay. Gladwell <laughs> indicates. Okay. Right? So he says, he says that you can discern a lot about something in the first two seconds. 
and it doesn't have to be um two seconds of of in, intense thinking it's just like if something is put in front of you with a, some amount of context and pulled out it uh, you you have enough uh judgment in order to you have enough pre judgment in order to make a judgment right so i'll give you an example okay. i got this book from a friend mm. who uh uh and and i didn't know i was being i was being uh, uh um i was learning a valuable lesson that the book would teach me i was in his house where i was helping him with a, a little bit of project of at work or something mm-hmm. and he he basically told me that i had to give him a book um and he said okay do you want a book in exchange i said what book do you have he just put blink in cuz i okay, i uh, he said i have blink i'll put it in front of you i'll put it in your bag i was wearing my bag I was on the way out and i didn't see it until i got home and i said i pulled it out and immediately in the first two seconds i thought that oh i should read this uh and there's nothing else i didn't i didn't think about buying it i didn't uh, i didn't buy it by it i borrowed it from a friend i didn't want to read it i had no plans of reading it i happened to have finished a book on in the same week so i needed something to read and this wow. just fell in my lap and it was a complete coincidence that i caught it um and i thought that okay this seems interesting and as i continued to read i sort of replayed that moment and thought that you know it's this it's the same circumstance that gave me the book maybe i was just you know i was supposed to read it and i did and it was a wonderful read um so to answer again your question uh, there's a lot that can happen in 2 seconds if you have enough prejudgment in order to make a post judgment hmm. and that is what we should ideally rely on again if we have had a tremendous amount of experience he mm. gives stories of of medical researchers who can discern whether whether um uh, a person who has just come into the emergency ward is actually having a fatal heart attack or not he mm. has used the same example of an experienced military commander who has a deficient amount of troops who is in a simulation game with another commander who has a surplus of troops and since he has understood the situation has been in those situations multiple times he can make tremendous amount of uh, uh, judgments which turn out to be right because he has had experiences right so even if it's in a crunch situation like in an emergency ward or on the battlefield or anywhere else he's given the the situation of police officers in high stakes encounters as well um because these people have a tremendous amount of experience in these fields they can discern a lot about things in the first say 2 to 5 seconds and and most of the time I mean maybe not all of the time but most of the time they are correct hmm interesting so even first impressions matter not only uh, when you are judging others but also when you are being judged yourself so i think uh, you have to judge the book by its cover uh, and we often exactly. do that right we often do that uh, as and well. that is that is a, a theory that he describes as, as the theory of thin slicing okay where where you take a, a particular situation and because you haven't sort of uh, you just entered into the situation you've just met a person you've just seen the book you mm. don't have a lot of slices to work with so to speak and oh. slices here are slices of memory right um memory with respect to the book memory with respect to the person memory with respect to the situation so what you end up doing is you end up thin slicing you end up judging based on a short amount of exposure and what thin slicing is is the ability of the unconscious or our unconscious 
to find patterns in situations and behavior based on very 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 narrow slices of experience hmm. right and um in any situation the ratio of time to negative emotion emotion sorry the nation the ratio of positive to negative emotion in any encounter in order to make a good judgment should be five is to one okay. meaning that if i've been in a situation where i have had six experiences five of them bad one of them good then my next experience with that is uh pre judged to be positive okay in that if i've gone for say six races running let's say running races and i've had five good experiences one in which i had been on the previous night and end up puking on the side of the road like someone did um i would be wary of the next week's run because i know that i i, I wouldn't be wary because five times i i did right and one time i did wrong mm. so okay. positive experiences drive more positive experiences that's true but you have to maintain a ratio of say 5 is to 1 in order to have that good ability to thin slice okay another interesting idea but heat uh, i mean yeah this book is about uh, that instinct uh, instinctual uh, thinking but uh, what about what about those times when we you know think through for days and then make a decision are those uh, something we really need to do or should we solely rely on our instincts at all times what does he say about that and what are your thoughts so he, on that he different he differentiates very clearly between say straightforward decisions whether it's a yes or a no whether it's Uh, there's not a lot of thinking going on so for instance um let's let's paint a scenario right if it's a straightforward decision you have two choices um let's say you have to go to you have to go to attend a test and exam or you have to just you know cover and say that like, i'm not going to do it man it's too difficult and i can bear the consequences of it that's a straightforward decision you should ideally go and do it mm-hmm. right um so that, that that on straightforward decisions Uh, on on straightforward decisions deliberate analysis is the best where we break down variables look at pro and cons we see what will happen we look at best case scenarios we look at worst case scenarios we look at uh, we do we do a, a, a sort of drawn out forward thinking test right mm-hmm. uh, what will happen if i do this what will happen if i do that right mm-hmm. um those sorts of deliberate analysis are best that would be uh, apt when deciding a career deciding a major deciding um a, a person who you want to you know get married to stuff like that deliberate analysis is is important mm. right but when when questions of analysis and personal choice start to get complicated and when we have to juggle many variables right then our unconscious thought process might be superior now i'll give you an example um i'll give you an example of of what um Uh, of an experiment that was conducted so a couple of i think uh, dutch researchers gave uh, sort of had four examples of cars with four uh, with very few variables i think they played around with three variables they played mm. around with mileage they played around with handling they played around with trunk space or or dicky space as we call it here and um, for and sound system right four very simple variables not enough to judge a car completely hypothetical they they, were, they weren't giving a model they weren't giving a manufacturer they weren't giving anything they said that car a has xyz of these characteristics car b c d has has a different mix of these characteristics hmm. now uh, you have to and obviously uh, there there is one best and one worst among the four right so you have a 25% chance of getting the best and 25% chance of getting the worst very simple test 
Um, and they tried this test with four set of people, uh, sorry, two set of people. Um, and they wanted to find which set of people actually get the answer right. Because at the end of the day, there is one right answer. There is one right car with the best mix of, 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 uh, of features. Hmm. Um, the difference between the two sets is one set got the information and then had to do that choicing immediately after. Right. So it was, I got my information, do the choicing. There was no gap between. Second one had to solve a set of anagrams once so once they got their choices um they had to solve a bunch of anagrams and then they had to sort of discern their choices okay. um and they had to and 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 that was mainly a distraction right uh, and after the four minute interval he he posed them he he posed to them the same question he posed to them which one would you choose and uh, what happened was that what happened was that 20 percent of the people who were distracted sorry, 20% of the people who weren't distracted, the first group, the one who did it straightforward, got the answer correct, 20%. Okay. okay. Whereas 60% in the other group got the answer correct. Meaning that if you are more distracted with an arbitrary choice with, with you know, with limited four number of four variables, you are more likely to get the answer correct because you rely on your unconscious to make the decision. They all made snap judgments. They all were forced into thinking. And they all didn't have enough information to rely on because their mind was still distracted with the anagrams that they just saw. Oh, okay. So when a plague with choices, our instinct doesn't work that well? Or uh, what, what does that mean? Does that mean that, you know, when there are less number of choices, we make, uh, like our instincts are better? Or, or is that... And there are more number of choices. Say, so bad. If if you have a lot of information that you do very clearly understand, let's let's look at it this way: if you were a car fanatic, and this was if these four choices were uh, very model dependent, right? Like I, I gave you four different cars, yes. four sound systems, four engine types, four mm -hmm. fuel types, stuff like that, and you could think through each of them. You think that. Oh, and then we gave you, oh, I'm in Bangalore, and the roads are such and such, fuel prices are such and such, and you do these deep analysis. Hmm. That might be good because, you know, you might, you might be adept at doing that. Hmm. But if I were to pull you out and say that I, th this is it's a flat choice, make the, decisions, make the decision immediately, you would still be able to do that. Right? You might take less time, but you still be able to do that. A person who isn't a car fanatic, right? Someone who doesn't understand these variables as complicated uh, as, as you do, um, could also make the decision and could also possibly make the decision, uh, if there was one right decision, could also make that right decision uh, a lot faster than you because they are relying on their snap judgment. Okay, yeah, so, okay. Very, uh, so what I'm thinking is in terms of people um, which you know we do make judgments uh, even before we know that person we just make judgments based on their physical appearance uh, appearance right uh, and uh, you can think through the whole thing about you know what kind of books they're into what kind of music they're into and all those long conversations but I think you've made your decision as soon as you met them as soon as you've seen their faces right right uh, and uh, essentially 
so this is another interesting thing that I uh, read. It's about uh, babies, uh, very uh, young born babies, uh, observing these uh, attractive people's faces. So uh, I, I'm getting, I might be, so, so what it is basically, you know, uh, if a baby stares at, at your face uh, for a longer period of time, uh, I mean, they only stare at faces that are attractive for a longer period of time because uh, human brain enjoys uh, symmetry and pattern. Uh, so an attractive face is one with sort of a good symmetry. So our human brain sort of enjoys that. So uh, babies stare into these attractive faces. So what I'm basically saying is if any baby stares at you for a long period of time, then you are an attractive man or woman. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, I think uh, th those initial things do make uh, sort of uh, a long-lasting impression on us. But uh, my next question is in terms of prejudice and uh, in terms of our own mm. uh, going back to our last bias. episode, the uh, conditioning, yeah, bias, uh, because we d we are conditioned uh, based on our religion, family, and all those things. How does that play into our decision making? Like how important it's that factor when we are making decisions. Any any comments? That is incredibly, yeah. That is incredibly important. And there's, that is, we have perceptions of people based on the way they look. Like, oh, this guy must be, uh, must be a leader, right? He must be. He looks. He looks like a leader. Or uh, that guy. Oh, he's so timid, man. He, he can't do anything. Or or she looks sporty. Or 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 you you look at someone who's very argumentative, and we and you know. And uh, lots of people say, oh, yeah, that, that guy must be a lawyer, you know, stuff like that. So we have these snap judgments that we make and, and, and that more often than not is based on truth. But in this chapter, he explains it very uh, clearly and comically uh, through Warren Harding, who is one of the presidents of the United States of America. And he was, he was not presidential, so to speak. Um, and he was just this handsome, rich, tall, uh, tall, handsome man, right? Tall, dark, handsome man, sort of presidential types. And um, and in I think 1899, um, in 1899, you know, in at least the late 1900s, uh, the the Republican sort of uh, uh, campaign was deadlocked between. Uh, let's see here. I'm not sure who exactly it was. It didn't. That doesn't matter. Book, but yeah. it doesn't matter right now. It's yeah. a century later. But it was deadlocked, and Harding came in sixth out of six candidates, right? And this was in the this was to determine who would go on to the general election. Hmm. And since it was deadlocked, the party couldn't decide who to take between candidate number one and candidate number two. And they all decided that we need to look at an alternative because if we pick one of the two, then at the general election. Since our body, our own sort of party is divided, we might not all vote for one guy. Mm. So we should ideally pick someone who is, who is uh, middle ground, so to speak. Right? So our, our entire voter base, our entire party can vote for at least one person. And uh, they picked Warren Harding simply because, and, and, and the book reads, he was a man who radiated common sense and dignity and all that was presidential. He was a man that looked presidential. He was a man that looked that could lead, looked like he could lead, but could he actually? Um, 
not not entirely right harding served two years before dying unexpectedly of a stroke he was as most historians agree one of the worst presidents in american history but the only reason he sort of got elevated in that into that position was because he looked the part hmm. a lot of people look the part and a lot of people look the part because we allow them to look the part it's our eyes that do the do the do the bias discerning yeah right? yeah so this is this is uh, the dark side of thin slicing as we explained earlier and a way to test this out is uh there's a test called the iat the implicit association test it's made by researchers at harvard and um you can go on there i think it's still available for the public i remember i tried it a few years ago um um but we it's basically in order to see if you have an implicit bias so what they do is they give you um um people and and figures that are associated with either people or countries or determining in order to determine do you have a bias for or against a country or do you have a bias for or against a type of people whether it's based on a race based on a religion based on gender based on whatever right it it might not be good or bad it just might be how your conditions for instance um um in the in the olden times uh, we we were conditioned in order to think that um men work women are at home so one of the tests that is detailed in the book is uh, you're given a bunch of names mm. very clearly differentiated between, between male and female and you're you know you you have to take which the male name which the female name which seems like a pretty straightforward task then you're given uh, male and female names and also words that are associated with a career and words that are associated with family for instance career words can be entrepreneur merchant capitalist corporation and family words can be siblings home food dinner lunch um and you're supposed to tick which one falls into which and initially it's easy because if male and career is under one category and you have to tick all on the left for instance and female and family is on the right you just it's easier for you to tick because that's how you're conditioned but when the 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 career and family are switched and when it's male and family yeah. female and career it's it takes a lot more time in order to do this because we are conditioned in order to think in this particular way right and a way for us to sort of try this out is uh, us as in us indians in order to try it out because i mean i i have it might have changed is i i took a test of to see if i have an implicit bias against uh, our neighbor pakistan right so what essentially the t- the test was very simple right you had uh, you have to pick if if some image was thrown in front of you you have to just pick if it is good or bad that's it and you have to pick good or bad by pressing e and i like the letter e and i on your keyboard mm. um and words associated and words and figures associated with pakistan was very clearly the 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 word pakistan the the rupee the pakistan rupee note um um the the cities in pakistan jinnah the founder of pakistan um and stuff like that right like all of these associations the pakistani cricket team stuff like that anything that immediately you can think of that is pakistan right and you are given other similar symbols in people's faces that are associated with india right um and you have to and and these are presented to you in a two second interview so in two seconds you decide good or bad good or bad good or bad good or bad and that goes on for i think two minutes or three minutes or so and by the end of it i figured out that i have a bias against pakistan 
right? <laughs> uh, which is true because I've been like conditioned in a way because we live in the society and yes. and, and we are made to think that uh, uh, for good or bad, right? We're not going to comment on that. That that uh, <laughs> the, the the neighbor to our left is uh, our neighbor to our west is um, is our enemy, right? Yeah. Uh, and that this is true for tests like uh, white versus black, male versus female. Israel versus Palestine, stuff like that. Like the most touchy topics that you can think of, that you don't feel like you have a bias for. So mm. we will link the test in the show notes. And mm. if you guys want to sort of get it, it's I think implicit.harvard.edu. Uh, but anyway, we'll we'll um, link the, 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 the test in the show notes because everybody should sort of try it out and see what kind of biases they have. Because we all do. And based on that, we make what Malcolm Gladwell calls the uh, Warren Harding error by judging someone based on that cover. Hmm. But why, uh, okay, what I'm thinking is, is that bias, uh, how, how often is that bias uh, very bad? Like how often does it lead to us making a bad decision or how often does it, has it sort of led us uh, in the wrong way because Every time, you know, okay, whatever bias you may have, like even the example that you gave of a man looking presidential, uh, if a man looks presidential, half the job is done, right? Uh, I mean, there has certainly been, there have certainly been anomalies, but uh, that's one other thing, right? If you look at, for example, an attractive person, uh, you immediately sort of um, just make a judgment thinking they are uh, good because of how, uh, they've kept their body, for example, you know, uh, how they maintain the body, which shows that, I mean, all these things happen in the background, but it happens very quickly. Uh, so I'm not really sure if, I mean, certainly we have biases, but I'm not really sure if those biases or whatever you may call them, thought bubble or confirmation bias or whatever, you, I, I don't really think it's uh, such a bad thing. Uh, when you're making a decision. Certainly, I mean, you need to be cognizant of the fact that there, you are sort of prejudiced in your decision-making, but I mean, everybody is. And uh, most, uh, most of the times, I mean, at least for me, it has worked out well. Uh, whatever, like, you know, going back to the example of uh, the attractive people kind of thing. So they sort of look after themselves. Uh, themselves and uh, which shows that you know they have certain uh, uh, like the word discipline comes into mind and uh, all those things come come into mind right so I, I necessarily don't think it's such a bad thing what do you think about that do you think uh, I'm, I know what Malcolm Gladwell has said I mean that's what you you describe but what are your thoughts on that specifically I think we as human beings look for patterns and yes. patterns are based on data and data is based on personal experiences. And what we do is we have an internal spreadsheet where uh, we take data and we tag it into certain sort of uh, columns and rows on our spreadsheet. And if we have a future situation that arises based on a similar uh, experience, then we go back to that data and the conclusions that that data gave us. And we immediately think that this is the likely conclusion and that might be implicit bias, but that's based on experiences. So it is fine. Mm. And personally, I think it is fine. That's all right. Yeah. An example can be 
something like and again this this might sound very uh, uh, you know incorrect to certain people but if you have situations where let's let's look at a simple situation right let's let's look at a situation where um um, okay, I, how about this? This this is something that we've both experienced, right? If we're riding on a cycle down a road um, and we see a dog um, at, at the corner, right? We immediately have an instinct, at least you and I, that we have to go faster and swerve slightly away from that dog because we know that he might or she might uh, turn around and chase us or chase the wheel, right? Yeah. For whatever reason. Right, so we have that bias because we have been in situations where a dog has very violently come after us. For I don't know. I mean, for maybe they've smelt our tire, some other dog peed on it, territory dominance, whatever. Right, um, but that has scared us. Obviously, right? that's a fearful thing when you're on a cycle going pretty quickly, and yeah. and without balance, and something's chasing you with sharp teeth and rabies. So uh, we we swerve away, right? So it's not necessary that every dog has that uh, mm-hmm. feeling instinct, uh, but but it is certainly true that we as riders, in order to be safe, um, swerve away, go faster, are very conscious about these situations and do a lot of sort of safety checks before that. So we know before approaching it that, hey, we have to be safe, right? And now you can change dog in cycling with anything you, you want. You can change... Uh, man and rob you can change uh, man and riot woman and riot type you know type of people and they're more likely to riot um you can change uh, judgment and theft and whatever right um and that is in my opinion it's fine everybody has an implicit bias i think that implicit bias is a personal because that's why they're implicit and they're based on personal experiences which we log on a spreadsheet like database entries right time day person height we put everything we put height we put skin color we put clothes we put everything and therefore we make the judgment therefore we look at someone who's wearing like a swanky shirt and like oh that guy must be xyz you know Hmm. now or you look at someone who's who's very neatly dressed right like clean shaven short hair nice you know build uh uh, tie suspender sort of type thing and like okay you're xyz in my book right so uh, I think prejudging people is fine if it is based on implicit personal experiences based on a database entry. Yeah. And also talks about um, this mimetic desire, uh, which is uh, uh, something that is described by this, uh, uh, f- uh, f- this I don't know if he's a philosopher, but uh, his name is uh, Rene Girard, and he had this theory called uh, the mimetic theory, which basically, which basically sort of states that, uh, you know, uh, human desires something uh, not because of, um, so, sometimes because of the environment, but mainly they desire it because other people desire it. Uh, we sort of copy each other, we sort of imitate each other. So if you are desiring, um, I don't know, to get a brand new cycle. Uh, I also desire that not because that is, that thing is, you know, scarce or anything. It's mainly because uh, I'm imitating you. Uh, and that's, that's sort of true to all, all the things we see in our nature when the basic needs are met, like uh, uh, sleeping, eating, uh, having, a shelter, having a shelter, 
um, the next sort of desires that we have, uh, it's it's all imitations, right? Uh, and that is that is very very true in terms of the things that we desire and the things uh, that we are thinking about uh, our, our biases. We have these biases, like you said, because we uh, we have sort of been conditioned as a whole nation. Uh, go, going back to the example of Pakistan, uh, to sort of treat them as our enemy, right? So yeah, uh, a lot of things play in. But uh, uh, how do we uh, go away from this? How do we go away from this prejudice, this bias, or should we even go away from this? What does what does Malcolm Gladwell have to uh, say in the book? So. I think biases are innate and you shouldn't really force yourself in order to not think about them. Mm-hmm. And um, I, th- I think it's good. It might be incorrect to say it's good to have biases, but in order to have biases, you have to think, right? And in order to think, you have to be free, you have to be aware, you have to be log information, you have to be understanding. It's fine, right? Personally, I feel, I, I feel like there's nothing wrong with having a bias. If it's a bias based on data, if it's a bias based on understanding, if it's a bias based on personal experiences, if you have a bias that is just based on nothing, right? Like uh, that would be prejudice. And um, that is something that we should try to correct. But that correction happens with the person, not with someone forcing the person in order to think. Because, I mean, if I put a gun to your head, you are thinking what I want you to think. Yes. Right. And so there is, there is, there is no way I can get you to think, uh, force you to think in a particular way without putting a gun to your head. Yeah. So I think biases are good and people who sort of rave, rave on about them and say that you can't be biased, man, you can't be this, man. <laughs> they want you to think according to them and that is not possible. That is never possible. At least for me, it's, it's never going to happen. Yeah, and even the idea that when people say that, you know, they don't judge people, I just think these people are crazy, man. Uh, I mean, even I, we were made to, I, uh, even I would say that, you know, before, but then when I deeply thought about it, there's no way that you can go around not judging people. Uh, I don't judge people, man. Yeah, I'm the same. You can't do that. I mean, if you don't judge people, then you're not a thinker. Like, you don't think about anything. You're just a robot going through the life, going through but, life. And you're like, I'll do this, I'll do that. I'll do this, I'll do that. You can't do that. But uh, one one interesting thing, uh, which uh, uh, Navel Ravikant, I remember a discussion in a podcast or somewhere, was that uh, he calls this conscious meditation. So what he does is, uh, obviously, he knows that you know he can't not judge things and people uh, in his environment. But what he tries to limit is the number of times he does that. Uh, so he's consciously when he's walking uh, down the street or he's sitting or talking to people, uh, definitely those thoughts come up. Like when you're talking to someone, it's like, oh God, this is better breath stinks or this guy is uh, terrible. All those things comes comes into your head. But what he says is if you're conscious about it, um, you do that less and less. Um, and uh, that is something we can aspire to because all these judgments, they may be good, uh, the instinctual judgment, like they may be helping you, but too much is causing a lot of chaos in your head, man. And uh, on the long run, if you really want peace, you need to get that shattering mind uh, to calm down, right? And uh, that is, I, I think he was talking in that in that sense rather than the uh, the you know what we are discussing. But yeah, I think that also uh, makes sense. 
So I think uh, we've discussed uh, quite a bit uh, and we discussed the main idea of the book, which is, you know, instincts matter, but it also, and, and we do that quite a lot of times. Uh, one last thing is that, is there anything that you missed out? Uh, or do you think uh, any big idea that you wanted from the book that you wanted to put out there for the listeners? Or do you think- I think lastly, I would say that there's, there's, there's one thing that really caught my eye was that there's a theory of the locked door, okay. which is, which is what goes on behind the locked door is something within our mind. The locked door within our mind is something that we can't really comprehend. It, it has a lot of snap judgments. It has a lot of rapid cognition. A lot of what we think is fine, um, but it might not be the same. It might not be fine. We might be being primed, right? And we might be being primed in order to think. Um, and this goes back into what biases are. Um, what we think might be someone else doing the thinking for us. An example can be something like a very sort of, just to conclude, the la one of the experiments that was conducted in, 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 in the book by researchers whom uh, uh, Gladwell details in the book is um, they take a group of five to 10 people. They give them two sets of words. One is polite sounding words, right? Polite, nice, enjoy, slow, smooth, calm, sort of words like that. And then you give them words that are fairly aggressive, negative, right? Like shout, uh, reach, um, uh, scream, um, aggressive, stuff like that. Um, and they just give them those words that are jumbled in, in, in a paragraph. So the rest of the words in the paragraph are fairly uh, vanilla words, right? You can't really discern positive and negative from them. And the, the rest of the words are either positive or negative, positive being calm, you know, sort of uh, very well-natured, good-natured words, and the other being very aggressive words. And they told them that, okay, your only job in this particular experiment is to read these words. And once you've read it, once you've sort of, you know, read it over and over again, and go to the person over there, this seemed like an administrative task, go to the person over there at the reception and ask him or her, what is my next task? Right? That's it. That's all you have to do. Uh, the person over there, the receptionist, was usually engaged in certain activity, um, right? just talking on the phone, talking to a colleague or, or, or typing an email or stuff like that. And when uh, they were approached by the, the, the uh, person who was taking the test, they would act like they're, they're really busy. So what the person would do is they would either wait or they would immediately cut and be like, hey, I, I, I need to know what the next task is. Can you please let me know? Right. So you either had to be, be, be polite and sort of wait there uh, or you had to be slightly negative and say that hey can you tell me what, uh, what what I need to do sort of cut them off while they're talking to a friend or in the middle of something the people that were primed with the polite words took about five to ten minutes they just stood there in silence waiting for the person to finish their work and the people who were in in the in, in the who were primed with the negative words immediately cut them Right now, within a few uh, minutes, they cut them and they said that hey, I need to I need to know what uh, what I need to do next. So please let me know where I can go. That is based on priming. We're all being primed somewhere or the other. And when we're being primed, we have to think about it in a way where we're outside the locked door, right? We are our mind is working outside the locked door where uh, we are we are sort of made to do something that we don't generally want to do, mm -hmm. but it's something that we're forced to do. So with that, we just 
sort of want to, with that ex example, let's just conclude this uh, podcast. Yes. And, and, and the one thing that you should take away, or I hope that you take away from this, is, is the power of thinking without thinking. There's a lot to be thought without actually thinking. And more often than not, you should trust it. But you should always know when you're being prime and you should always not fear your implicit bias because we all have it. Okay. I think that's a great way to end. A great concluding sentence. We will see you next week again on the same thing. A new book with the same thing. So keep rambling and take care.